everybody to a very special episode of The Sheriff. Guys, right off the hop, me and Kyle have very special guest Anthony Stewart with us today. Anthony, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, guys, and very impressed and uh, happy to be on your guys' program. You guys are blowing up from episode one to now. You guys have uh, fastest growing podcast in the sports market, I can tell you that. So I'm excited, and I'm just wondering what took me so long to get on the program here, Sheriff. You're, you're getting too big time now for me. I hear you, buddy. I hear you. We'll get right back to that. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm good. And just uh, just between me and you, Anthony, uh, your brother slid us a couple hundos to make sure that we saved you for later. And uh, so he had the bragging rights. Okay. No, problem. <laughs> no, to be honest with you, Anthony, like there has been a little bit of a strategy um, the way that we've done our guests. And, you know, with, with your brother, I mean, I, I've been a huge fan of both of you my whole life. You know that especially. But with your brother, I thought it would be really interesting to bring a former Philadelphia Flyer on right off the hop because he was our first guest. And our first sponsor, as, as you know, Kyle, Kyle hooked it up, we were able to be sponsored by HW Radio in Philadelphia, right? So it was, it was a really big strategy for us to get your brother on right, right away. We were able to develop a base based on people just interesting and in hearing from a Philadelphia Flyer that had that we were out of a Philadelphia radio station, right? So, man, Chris helped us out big time, man, by being our first ever guest on the show. And Kyle, I know that that did work out pretty well with the Philadelphia Flyer fans, did it not? Oh, yeah, it blew up on HW Radio for sure. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make, Anthony, is... The guests that we have on now, we even have more strategy. And with yourself, one of the main things that I want to get into today with you is the after the career career for hockey guys. Because the way I see it, Anthony, is right now, brother, you have a lot of really cool things going on. Like, I'm really proud of you, man. I look up to you. You're three years younger than me, so it's supposed to be the other way around, but I know you know what I mean. You have so many good things going on post-hockey that I really want to get into that topic. But before that, I just want to ask you how you're doing, man. I know you're a super, super busy guy. One of the things that I want to talk to before we get into the hockey is actually Sportsnet. I want you to, just, I want you to tell our listeners, what exactly is it that you do for Sportsnet? Uh, well, I'm a bit of a utility man where I'm doing social media, you know, I'm tweeting the gifts, I'm doing radio, I'm on uh, Hockey Central uh, pretty much every day that I'm not doing TV. I'm doing that with Jeff Merrick and and uh, Justin Bourne, who was a former player, and his uh, dad was Bob Bourne, who played in the National Hockey League, and uh, I've been doing some Hockey Night in Canada as well. So um, I, I, people ask me, well, you know, who do you know at Sportsnet, and you know, who is your connection? And I said, nothing. I just applied the same tools and skills that I learned as a hockey player, be on time. Don't say no. I think that's the only thing that separated me from the other guys that were sort of auditioning at the time was I said yes to everything. They said, Hey, can you come in at this time? Yes. Uh, can you, can you do it for this amount? Yes. Uh, can you not take a vacation? Yes. So I just literally just showed up and you know, that work ethic helped me move up uh, pretty quickly now where, uh, you know, I'm under contract now and, and I'm, you know, it's, it's a second career for me. So I'm very grateful for the opportunity because uh, you know, the first couple of years after you're done playing and you know, the sheriff is it's, it's very tough. You don't know what to do. All you know is hockey. And, you know, I have a hockey school that I'm still running, but it doesn't make a lot of money at the time. And uh, so the opportunity now to get this and run with it, it's definitely a blessing that I'm very grateful for. 
Yes, yes. And there's a few things that, that I, I want to touch up on there, brother. Um, the first thing, like you saying, you know, you're making yourself available, going the extra mile, pretty much saying yes, yes, yes to everything that you're asked upon. Now, let's not take away that you have a very decorated hockey career, my friend. You have a lot, like, like for resumes as far as players go, I mean, Anthony, you've, you've accomplished things that a lot of big-time NHL stars haven't even done. Like, I'm talking when it comes to gold medals. Like, I'm talking, I'm talking a lot of stuff, and we're going to get into it. So I don't want you to underestimate yourself by any means because if I was a sports company, I would want someone with your resume being a broadcaster, being an analyst, being a radio host, anything to do with my company. So, so, so let's get that out there, man. You have been a really incredible career, my friend, and I know you worked extremely hard. And I know that you're very proud of that as well. No, I appreciate it. I think I'm going to make you my agent uh, if I go uh, <laughs> on track extension here. But it, it's, again, you know you know how it is, Sheriff. It's usually the best guys and the top guys are the less, the most humble, right? And that's a big part of being a hockey player. And, you know, in me doing media and doing, you know, the hockey school, it, it, what it's it for? It's to teach the kids the lessons, right? So I'm doing this now to show kids, you know, of minority backgrounds or wherever that, hey, you know what? You can do this, whether it's in media, whether it's on the ice, off the ice. I, I tell everybody, if I was a mechanic right now, I'd probably be the best mechanic uh, in, in the country because that's just the work ethic that I've had uh, that my parents bestowed upon me, you know, from a young, young age. Yeah, and and Anthony, like, I'm, I'm glad that you finished off with that because, you know, like we were discussing earlier, uh, we had your brother Chris Stewart on on our episode two, and he, he really kind of got into the story of the beginnings in Scarborough, which, which I can appreciate so much, brother, because just so the listeners know that, you know, haven't heard every single episode, although me and Kyle are hoping that anybody listening now tunes into every single episode of the Sheriff podcast. But episode two was a special one for us guys, because Chris and Anthony are extremely good family friends with myself. Um, Kyle's been able to learn a lot about the family, and we're just happy to be in contact with such great people. But Anthony, Chris was getting kind of into how it was growing up in Scarborough, brother. And, you know, he can tell the story from one view. He was the younger brother that pretty much got taken care of by the older brother. You're the older brother that mm -hmm. took care of stuff, man. Yeah. Now... Yeah. That's a really big responsibility to have at such a young age, man. And like, I remember when you played with my brother, Patrick, for all those years with North York Canadians, and even before that with Scarborough Malvern, you know, we got the house leagues and we got the SHA before North York. So the history that you have with Patty goes very, very deep. And Anthony, I'll tell you what, man, like ever since you were a little kid, you always acted like an adult. I don't know where, I don't know how you learned it so quickly, but man, you had etiquette, you had manners, you had everything. You were shaking parents' hands years before kids even knew that they were supposed to do that, right? So you were way ahead of the game. And I think that you are so gifted that you showed those gifts at such a young age, man, you were you were such a big you you are a big star, Anthony. But we're talking past tense. You were such a big star in Scarborough, brother. Even me being three age groups ahead of you, you were the best player for the 1985 age group in Toronto, hands down. And 
you took on a responsibility to not only take care of your younger brother, Chris, but also you got five sisters, my man. The yeah. listeners need to know. Yeah. You got a big family, okay? And when times are tough, it's the older siblings that always come into the clutch, okay? And you, big guy, you really hit the ball out of the park. Your whole childhood, I just need everybody to know that, how responsible and how mature Anthony Stewart was as a child, okay? Now that I got all that out, I want to talk about some fun stuff, buddy. <laughs> I want to talk about Scarborough Malvern and what that means to you, my man. Well, we, uh, I played in Malvern, and I think Patty was on that team too, but I remember uh, my brother played in Malvern as well, and he played with Liam. Uh, but I was four years old, I think it was, and we were living in the Malvern area, and um, I remember just watching Hockey Night in Canada with my dad, and we used to always watch the Habs and switch back and forth from the Leaf game. And, you know, for once, I wanted to actually start playing, you know, playing hockey. So at the time, I think it was 200 bucks, but we didn't even have that 200 bucks to play in Malvern. Um, so I think I only played half a year in Malvern, and then I ended up going to West Hill a year later. And uh, we lived in Malvern, which was Morningside and uh, Shepherd area, and we had to walk to Heron Park to play West Hill. So we'd have to walk every Friday, Saturday. And to this day, I would just remember the cold walking probably legit six, seven, eight miles, you know, because sometimes we'd get on the bus and we wouldn't have bus fare. And sometimes they'd let us go for a ride. Sometimes the bus driver would kick us off. But I just remember one time, like, just crying my eyes out and my dad saying, like, hey, I know you're cold. We can go back home. But I remember at a young age, five, six, seven years old, saying, I love this game so much. I want to play. And I remember the Timmy Tyke tournament. I think I missed the Timmy Tyke tournament which is one of the main tournaments for the seven-year-olds because I had chicken pox. And I was like, no, it's not chicken pox. I'm going through puberty. It's, it's acne. So I was like, <laughs> I really, and I actually think it was Sheila, your mom, that was supposed to pick me up for that tournament. And I was I actually remember. So I remember from a young age that I just loved the game of hockey and just playing it. And my brother and I, Chris, we would be outside, you know, playing street hockey. We'd be playing roller hockey. We'd be playing ring net. We'd be in the basement. So hockey was just, you know, it was a love of the game. But when you get a certain age, you find out that you have an opportunity to make this a career. And you're talking about the maturity aspect. You know, it was bestowed upon me that at 11 years old, you have to make the NHL and take care of the family. So it was a big, big burden. Uh, but with that came, you know, the extra slice of pizza, the bigger slice of, uh, you know, the bigger piece of chicken at the dinner table. The family put all their resources uh, in me. Because they knew that, hey, you know what, he has an opportunity to make this a career. So since I was 11 years old, I knew that I was going to make it. First paycheck, you're going to buy your parents a house. And, and that's exactly what I did. So they made a lot of sacrifices for myself. Uh, but I was sure to pay it back because, like, you know, family's everything. You know, you got the five younger sisters. You got my younger brother. Uh, I made sure that uh, I repaid the debt that the family uh, gave me. Yes, yes. And, and thank you so much for sharing that, man. Every Like, Anthony, I, I know the family so well. I was trying to explain this to my mom before the recording. I know you guys so well, right? Mm -hmm. But your story is so strong and it's so important for people to know exactly how this happened that I just have to somehow try to pretend that I don't know you as well just yeah. so I can know how the listeners feel and get all this out, brother, because it is incredible. Now, the next thing I wanted to go, it would be impossible to talk about your family without talking about Norman. Yeah, okay? Norman. Yeah. Norman. For the listeners, Norman Stewart 
is is the king of the family. He's yeah. Anthony and Chris's father. Okay, Norman, you're talking about your love for the game, Anthony. So my question to you is: I know how passionate your dad is when he went when he was in Montreal, and you know his love of the Montreal Canadiens. And I've seen like even without talking to you about it, I've seen numerous videos of you and Chris talking about that and how that really love for the game. Like I think when he lived in the city of Montreal, the the Ile de Montréal, I think they won like five cups in seven years or it was some time where they were really dominant and your father really started to get a real love for this game. And I just believe that that really was instilled in his sons, man. Do yeah. you agree? Imagine, you know, you're 10, 12 years old and it's at the height of popularity of the Legion of Doom and John LeClaire and, and Pavel Bury. And then you, your dad talking to you about, you know, Guy Lafleur and Larry Robertson and Bob Kane. <laughs> so he, every single day he'd be talking about this Montreal Canadiens team and this is how you got to play. You got to play Bob Gainey's two-way and you got to have Larry Robertson's toughness and tenacity of Guy Lafleur. And so the, from that day, he taught us about playing the game the right way. And to this day, I always remember my dad was always a loud person in, in the arena, but he wasn't yelling at me to, to, you know, for someone to pass. He'd always be yelling at me to skate, move my feet and play proper defense. So I always remember when I wasn't playing proper defense, he'd be yelling at me from the stands and, but he'd be doing it in a way where it wasn't too bad. But, uh, you know, a quick story on my dad, like he is such a Montreal Canadiens fan. Uh, my first time I was with the Florida Panthers playing in Montreal at the bell center he showed up to the game, obviously, and after the game, he was wearing my old North York Canadians jacket with the Montreal Canadiens jersey. So here he is standing by all the, you know, players on the team wearing a Montreal Habs jersey while I play for the <laughs> Florida Panthers. Yeah. So yeah. Gary Roberts pulls me aside after when I get on the bus. Gary Roberts says, Stewie, is that your dad? I'm like, yeah. He's like, tell him next time I see him wearing that jersey when we're playing, I'm going to rip it off his back. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. So he bleeds uh, red, blue, and white through and through, but... Uh, just those lessons, uh, you know, that every time I stepped on the ice, I would just hear him in the background uh, telling me to play the game the right way and be appreciative because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. So there's a lot of people covering the cost. So he let me know that, hey, you got to at least work and give them their money's worth because there's a lot of people making a lot of sacrifices for you to even be here. Make sure you show it with your effort. That's amazing. I got a question for you. Do you remember the term uh, puck control? Puck control from Norman. No, it was puck pressure. Puck pressure. Puck pressure. Puck yeah. pressure. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Let me tell you a quick story. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back. I. This He's is always probably, yelling at Patty. <laughs> yeah. This is probably about 30 years ago, Anthony Stewart. 30 years ago, we're gonna go to the to the Scarborough Malvern Arena. That's across the street from Mother Teresa High School. That was across the street from Zeller's in the Malvern Town Center, okay? And I remember in the blue arena, man, the yellow one was the big ice surface, the blue was the smaller. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, yeah. So we're in the blue arena. It's you and Patty playing. You guys were on the same team on House League. Norman is walking up and down the glass saying, puck pressure, puck pressure, puck pressure. I didn't know you yet. I didn't know who you guys were. And I just thought that... It was just so amazing that someone had that much enthusiasm in this freezing arena, man. I'm like eight, nine years old. I'm watching you guys. You guys are five or six, maybe. And man, I, I, I couldn't get over it. So to have that instilled in you at such a young age, that enthusiasm, that passion, that drive, like you said. 
Yeah, and I'll explain it to Kyle. And Kyle might think, you know, crazy, overbearing hockey dad, but he did it in such a way where it was acceptable and not in a comedic way, but, you know, he would walk into the dressing room in Kingston. You know, it would be second intermission, we'd be losing, and my dad would come in and give, like, the intermission speech, not to the coach, not the coach. My dad would be in there in the OHL saying, you need to puck pressure. This guy, you're sticking out the joint. And so I think to this day, and you know how it is in the OHL, you got to get tickets for your parents. My dad was the only parent. I think in the history of the OHL that does not need a ticket to this day, he can walk into any <laughs> arena. Like, I'm not a ticket. What are you talking about? I don't have a ticket. And he used to tell me he was buddies with uh, Dale Hunter. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Right. So we actually were in London one day and uh, we got beat up. We got beat 14 one. And I knew Corey Perry and a couple guys. So I was down in the dressing room after, and I walk by and I see like my dad's shoes, like on the desk. I'm like, what's going on here? He's literally in Dale Hunter's office with his feet up on the desk, having a beer with Dale Hunter. So that was the truth that he was buddies with Dale Hunter. I'm going to be honest with you, Anthony. If you didn't just say that, yeah. I was going to say it, man, because, because that story that you just told there, because I'm, I'm like a London Knights guy, right? And so, man, that is so funny to me because I know exactly how the Hunters are, and I also know how much they must have loved your father being in their office, man, and yeah. and how vi- and how it was vice versa for your dad too. Yeah. How, how both parties must just loved each other's company, you know. So so that's great, man. And like, it's funny that we just brought up London because I mean, Anthony, I was I played for a lot of OHL teams. You know, I got traded a few times, but I was with the London Knights when you were coming into the league. And I remember saying to Jimmy McKellar, who was like the director of player personnel at the time, now he's with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I was saying to him, so you guys like, you guys know about Stewart, right? And, and they're like, yeah, yeah, he's right at the top of our list. You know, he's, you know, like, like we may, may be even selecting him. And I was kind of excited or whatever. And, you know, obviously London ended up selecting Corey Perry and the Kingston Frontenacs had the opportunity to get you. Mm-hmm. Now, my friend, I'm a big hockey fan. I'm also a big stat guy. You know that. Yeah. And yeah. I, as a fan and a former player, you know, the insight that I had to see how things came along, to see how the process works, to see how the system works, especially at the major junior level, it's a very competitive system, my friend. People have no idea. Like, when I went to the OHL, Anthony, I remember seeing the imports coming in. My rookie year, we had two Russians, Maxim Ribbon and Alexander Buterlin. And they could hardly speak English. And there were these Russian guys, and they were so different. And I'm like, wow, man, this is like professional hockey, man. We got guys from overseas. We got everyone on the team was just the best where they came from. Man, this is the real deal, okay? Kids come into that system, Anthony, that have done well their whole lives, man. They come in, and if every component doesn't work out, they just don't do well. It's not their fault. They'll always be competitive. Maybe they go to some other league, whatever the case may be. But you, my friend, not only did you embrace being a first-round pick, like, was it, was it fifth overall? Seventh. Seventh overall. Seventh overall. Seventh overall in the OHL draft is a lot of pressure, man. I remember I was a second rounder. I remember the first rounder, the pressure that he had. You went in there, buddy, and you pretty much just tore things up. 
You tore things up, man. You made a name for yourself. Not only did you continue like the scoring, the playmaking, but buddy, you were throwing your weight around. You made a name for yourself so quickly that how how quickly did you get that captaincy in Kingston? Uh, I got the C my third year, I think it was. I had the A my second year, which is a lot of okay. second year player. Um, but it goes back to if you know what your goal is from 11 years old, I'm like, well, this is just a quick <laughs> pit stop. So, uh, it, it, but Sheriff, you don't understand it. It's, you're talking about all those components and that should be the message to, you know, to, to the kids now. It's not about talent. It's not about skill. you got to have all those other factors and what it takes to be a, a hockey player, let alone a, a successful hockey player. So, you know, I, I think you're doing well is because you're a personal player. You're probably the best teammate. You're in the community doing things. That's what made you successful. And you made a pretty good career for yourself. So when I was in Kingston, um, you know, I had Bobby Orr as an agent at the time, too. He had myself and Nathan Hort, that. Jeff Carter. So he sort of... Uh, you know, said, you know what, we're going to put uh, Jeff Carter in, in the Sioux. They, I'd had my pre-draft meeting and they told me to say no to the Sioux because they didn't want me too far away from home. They put Horton in uh, Oshawa and then they actually put me in Kingston specifically because it was far enough away from, uh, you know, from, you know, the, the old neighborhood. But my parents were, you know, they could get a ride down. It's only two hours away. So uh, Kingston was it, was, it was a great experience. It taught me how to be a pro. You know how it is. Larry Mavity's there. Rest in peace. Yeah. No real curfew. You're sort of on your own. So you have to learn to be a pro. You can have your fun. But the one thing I can say, I had a lot of fun in Kingston. But when it was time to work, I showed up and, uh, and uh, you know, did my job. And there was a lot of pressure. The teams weren't great. But that taught me saying, hey, I had to be the man. I had to be the man my first year in, in, in putting up points. Second year, I had the A. And then the third year, I had uh, the C. Uh, but I think my most important year and most fun year was probably my last year because we'll probably get more into this is I got my brother on the team. So that now gave me an extra sense of pride where I'm like, you know what? I got to you know, tone down the fun a little bit. I know I'm going to be playing in the NHL next year. Let me now set my brother up and get him accustomed and get him acclimated to what it's like in the OHL because he wasn't a first round draft. He was a walk-on. He literally was not playing hockey the year before. And here he is now in the OHL playing with his big brother. So you know how that can be. There's a lot of pressure there. Guys are probably chirping him. And you're in and out of the lineup. But, again, I made sure that he was clothed. I made sure that he was eating. I'd pick him up, drive him to school. And, uh, you know, just that was probably my most successful year because I set my brother up success. And, you know, I have a successful story. But the real story is the story behind my brother who, you know, who goes from undrafted in the OHL to first-round NHL pick a couple of years later, uh, has a fairly good career, retires, and then comes back and makes the NHL for a second time. <laughs> That's the success story, not my story. Well, I'm a big well, fan of Chris. They're both success stories. Let's get yeah. that clear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Chris Stewart. I agree with you. Huge success story. Blockbuster movie material. I hear you, man. But what, in my opinion, Anthony, what's even more important than that is the people that support and help you get to those points. And what I really, really, really want the listeners to know is that this Chris Stewart success story that we're talking about, Anthony, we, we know very well that Chris Stewart would never, never mind the NHL, would never have played in the OHL if it wasn't for Anthony Stewart. Well, I opened up the door. I opened up the door and laid out a nice welcome mat for him, but I just gave How- him... I gave him the tools that I learned, right? I gave him the tools that I learned and I had to learn the hard way. But 
uh, you know, the, the importance of fitness, you know, he played football the year before and he went to kicks, I think it was 250 pounds. And I remember, you know, we had Jim Holton as a coach was a pretty tough coach and he'd be bag skating us. And I could see my brother's face. like literally like, look like he's going to have a heart attack out there. So, you know, myself, I would have to literally bite the bullet and start swearing at the coach. So he'd skate my group more to give my brother a rest. But um, for him to, to, to make the, the OHL, let alone the NHL, that's <laughs> as much as I can help. That's got to be talent, but just perseverance and, and hard, hard work because, you know, he had it a lot harder than I did. You know, uh, you know, I had a lot of families go above and beyond and sort of take us out of the family environment that I was in and to make it a little bit easier so I can focus on hockey. But he was in the struggle the whole way up where, you know, I was only in it for a certain amount of years. He was literally in the trenches with that. So that helped molded him because he understood, hey, you want to make a life for yourself. Um, you know, your brother's not just going to come over and change your life overnight. You got to do it yourself. And he put the work in and made sure that, uh, you know, he, he set himself up as well. Yes. Chris, Chris is, Chris is probably one of my all time favorite NHL players. He's got the most character that I've seen out of anybody in, in, in decades, man, your brother's the man. Don't get me wrong. It took hard work, perseverance, I could probably do a list of about 20 to 25 things that got Chris Stewart to where he was. But what I'm really talking about, Anthony, is the opportunity that you gave your little brother, brother. Okay? Now, for the listeners, we're talking about major junior hockey here. We're talking about, we're talking about a very established team in the OHL, the Kingston Frontenacs. And Anthony Stewart, through his hard work and perseverance and everything that we're saying that's also in his brother you know, became the team captain, became the leader on the team, became Larry Mavity's pretty much right hand. Because, you know, if he's going to ask someone about something, he's going to ask Anthony Stewart before he asks probably even the assistant coach at that time, brother. Okay? So Anthony Stewart sees his brother, sees the potential in his brother, knows what, that, what he has in him, and says, you know what? I'm bringing my brother to training camp. Was that kind of how it was, Anthony? Yeah, and I had to vouch for him, too. And Larry Mavity, we had a great relationship. And he basically said, if this doesn't work out, I'm probably going to trade you, too. I'll get rid of him and trade you, too. And I said, well, it's going to work out. So he, he had a pretty good camp. But uh, the role that they wanted, they wanted to know if he could fight. So they're like, hey, can he fight? I'm like, well, you're going to see. <laughs> so I said, hey, buddy, like, you know, if you want to make this team, I know it sucks. I don't really want to have to tell you this, but you're going to have to make the team as a fighter. I know you're skilled, but just wait for your opportunity to go in. Come in as a fighter. Get a couple fights under your belt. You'll be in another lineup. Don't worry. I'll be going to World Juniors in a couple months. They'll probably slot you in my position. Just bide your time. So sure enough, next inter-squad game, he goes out, gets into a fight, beats the crap out of Buddy, and he ends up making the team. So it's funny. we In that first year, for his first year in the team yearbook, he actually has a black eye because he took pictures at the beginning of the year. So here he is, you know, 17-year-old kid with a black eye because he got into a fight at training camp. And – he only had, I think, before Christmas, three or four goals. He had 10 or 12 fights. Uh, but when I went away to World Juniors for two months, they put him on the top line on right wing, and he actually finished the season with 18 goals. So my rookie year, I only finished with 19. Here he is, a walk-on, you know, missing, you know, the first, you know, 15 games and finishing with 18 goals. So, you know, that's that's amazing. So, like I said, I didn't do that, right? I, we, I think, in that whole year, only played one shift together. We almost got into a fight because I was yelling at him. So, they separated us on the ice. But 
uh, just seeing him now, that's definitely, that's my success story because I gave him that opportunity, uh, you know, to make a career for himself. Yeah. And, better and career you, than mine, I might add. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 honestly, Anthony, it really depends how you look at it, brother. Like, I know guys that have won Stanley Cups that say, I think a gold medal is a bigger deal yeah, than a Stanley true. Cup. True. Right? I mean, we have to we have to remember, like Anthony, you you have the second most amount of goals in major ju- in, in in major junior world junior history, right? Mm-hmm. For Canada, yeah, yeah. And who's number one? Is is it Sid or is it Wayne? No, I think it was uh, McDavid. So that's McDavid for under, for under eighteen. Yeah, for under eighteen, most uh, goals in a tournament. And again, that was me. Just with my goal saying, hey, you know what? I'm on the world stage here. I'm getting ready for the draft. The team never made playoffs. Let me now go and show what I can do. So when I was motivated to do something, I really put my mind to it. And again, at that age, I was 18, 17, 18 years old. I was already a man. I was 6'2", 230 pounds, right? I had pretty good training. So uh, I was playing against a bunch of kids. You'll see some pictures of me online, you know, playing against Ukraine, and the guys are literally, like, up to my elbow because they didn't want to come near me because they're close to <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's amazing. Before we get into pro, I really wanted to talk about, because I know there was the two years. There was 04 and 05. Right? Yeah. So 0-4, you guys fell a little bit short, right? Yeah. But 0-5, what's it like to get a gold medal put around your head and not placed around your neck, man? Yeah, we dropped the ball in 0-4 and we were beating the U.S. 3-1 and then we ended up losing, I think it was 4-3. It was when Marc-Andre Fleury shot the puck off of Coburn and we ended up losing the game. But I think our issue there was we were a bunch of young hotshots. Usually it's a 19-year-old tournament, but... We were all first round 18 year old hotshots. We came in there where everything was pretty much easy for us. You know, we had Getzlaff, Carter, Corey Perry, Dion Phaneuf, Brent Seabrook, you know, all first round guys, you know, hotshots. No big deal. Coming in there. And uh, we got taught a lesson on what it's like not to take your foot off the gas. But that next year, they brought in Brent Sutter. And uh, he he was no nonsense, you know, the first day. So he actually threatened to cut me. I led the tournament in points the year before. And he threatened to cut me because he didn't like the way I was practicing. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll pick it up here. So we were on a mission that that whole entire tournament where, you know, we know we dropped the ball the year before. It's the lockout. The lockout might be ending after this tournament. We got to showcase ourselves. So we came in that tournament. We pumped everybody. Went undefeated. Uh, We had Sidney Crosby when he officially arrived. It was his second year in the tournament, and he was the man. We had Bergeron come down from the NHL. And it was not even close. When I say the closest game was maybe the semifinals against Czech Republic, we, you know, we ran through that tournament. And the best part was I watched the game, I think, around Christmas time. I always watched the game. And uh, I forgot Malkin was even playing. We played Russia in the finals. We beat them 6-1. And I don't remember Malkin at all during that whole entire tournament. I know Really? We, yeah. I, I, we, we knocked out Oveshkin. Uh, in the first period or second period, I think someone ran him, took him out of the game, but I don't even remember Malkin playing. That's how dominant we were that whole entire tournament. Right on, man. So now, Anthony, so now the, the, the next thing that I kind of want to get into here, brother, is like, it, it's a little bit different. You were, you, you were, had the honor of being a first round pick in the National Hockey League, right? Now, this was 
the pre Sidney Crosby signing bonus cap time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so like I've gotten into this with, with a few of my guests because it, it's such a big difference between the way it used to be and the way it is now. Yeah. And for someone at that age to experience getting a signing bonus that's like close to a million dollars as opposed to like a hundred grand is a really, really big difference, right? Yeah. So like my question to you, brother, is how did you handle how did you handle like so much at such a young age? Because I know for a fact that you did a good job. And I know for a fact that if it was other people in that position, that it would have been not a good ending, right? So I'm just trying to figure out, like, did you have guidance from your agent? Did, did he kind of, like, take control? Like, because I couldn't even imagine having that type of access at that age, brother. Yeah, well, I did. But, again, I worked extremely hard. And I think my agents and financial guys at the time understood, like, the, the sacrifice that my parents made, right? So I said, hey, I, I told these guys – Bobby, when I sign, I'm, I'm buying my parents a house. So I don't care. <laughs> Get me a couple extra hundred thousand. This is what I'm doing. Uh, yeah. So I did that. So um, it, it's funny. So I signed at 19 years old. and But my first training camp, um, I actually made the team, but I didn't have the contract because they were negotiating the last minute as a tactic with myself and Nathan Horton. So we had to be signed by two o'clock. So they got Horton's done, deals done at 12 o'clock. He signed his big ticket. And uh, I was actually in a room uh, while Mike Keenan negotiated with my agent, Bobby Orr, at the time. So they put me in the room and every 15, 20 minutes, Mike Keenan would come in. Hey, are you taking the deal? And Bobby Orr would say, tell him no. Hang up and tell him no. So I'd tell him no. So here I am now telling Mike Keenan no, one of the most <laughs> in the NHL. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? And I said, Bobby, like, Bobby, I got no money. I got no car. I need to take this deal. He was like, you're not taking this deal. I'll buy your car. Do not take this deal. It was a bad deal. So they offered me a million bucks. And I'm like, a million bucks? How do you say no to a million bucks? But uh, Bobby Orr at the time said it, it, was, it wouldn't be good. The PA would have a problem with that. There was no signing bonus structure, no bonus structure. Uh, so I ended up going back to junior. So the funny part is, as hard as Mike Keenan is, everyone says, oh, he's a hard ass. And I, I actually, when I was going back to junior, and I was very disappointed I didn't sign, I was almost in tears. As I was packing my bags, he actually came and gave me a hug and said, it's okay, kid. You'll be back up soon. So everyone talks about the hard side of Mike Keenan. I actually saw the soft side of him that day, and I'm really appreciative for that. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. I know Iron Mike has a soft side to him. I just knew it. I love Mike Keenan, man. <laughs> I've always been a big fan of his. He I think he's awesome. Me, he benched me, though, because uh, Did he? He, runs, he runs the forward and the D. So in camp one time, I scored my first, uh, you know, goal and exhibition game so i'm watching the replay on the jumbotron so he was on the d side telling me to go back out there so he looks over at me looking up at the the jumbotron and he's, he's calling my name to go back out there so i was like oh man so i missed the call so he comes back over with the puck he's like hey kid here's the puck seeing how you're so interested in your goal here's the puck and you know, you're gonna be sitting on the bench the rest of the game so yes <laughs> <laughs> because i was looking at the jumbotron and i missed him calling me my number to go back out there Oh man, that's great, man. I mean, it's not, it's not, but it's a great story. It's a great story because you know people need to hear that, man. Because that's that that's some insight right there. Yeah. But um, Iron Mike, what's what's he doing now? 
I think he's done. He was in the KHL uh, a couple of years ago, and a good friend of mine was playing for him in Russia. Like, you can get away with anything in Russia, and, like, just the mind games that he was playing over there. Oh, man. He, he, was, he, was, he was tough where, you know, he would bench guys for, you know, the whole game, and after the game, make them just sit on the bench, you know, while they're getting dressed and dressed. So uh, I'm not sure, but he was, uh, he, was, he was actually a great coach. He has some weird tactics, but uh, I have nothing but positive things to say about him. Right on. That's cool. Cause I always really wondered about him and I, you're actually the first person that's actually told me like about Mike Keenan. I just, that's, that's interesting. Um, the other thing I wanted to get into Anthony is, is back to the whole, like, you know, the, the whole signing bonus and stuff. Now, obviously we've known each other for a long time. I just thought like, like we're both Scarborough boys, man. We're both Scarborough boys. We've been through a lot. Right. Yeah. So like, there's things that like, you know, that happened to us maybe, on an average day that, you know, we might be able to brush it off, but like to someone else, like it might traumatize them for a long time. And I remember you telling me a story about going to get your haircut when you first got your truck with the spinners. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. In front of a cut above. Yeah. Yeah. G-way. Yeah. Do you mind sharing that, man? Yeah, it's funny. So I used to live in Scarborough. There's different neighborhoods. And I was the one guy that got away with living in all the neighborhoods. So I thought I was like legit cool, you know, free to travel around. But there are certain rules in certain neighborhoods. But uh, I signed. And that summer I bought, a, you know, the first Cadillac Escalade. And I had floaters. And, you know, they're spinners. Floaters. floaters. So the floaters, yeah. the car moves, but the rims don't. So I thought I was a hot shot. Well, let me go and go get my hair cut. So... Um, as I was getting my haircut, there were a couple of guys coming into the shop. And then when I got back out to my car, like the guys were like waiting for me at the car. And like, I'm like, oh man, here it goes. It's about to go down. So good thing is like, it was one of the guys that I knew from the old neighborhood. It was one of the older guys like, yeah, do not, don't mess with him. He's one of us type of things too. And it was actually yeah. a guy that I used to have like a big beef with. I used to fight all the time. So I got a pass there. So that's why, uh, you know, since then I, my barber now comes to my house to cut my hair. <laughs> yeah it, uh, shout out it, to all the, the neighborhoods in scarborough i don't uh, i don't claim any i claim scarborough as a whole as they say right so that's right that's right it's it, it's the borough as a whole now no anthony i mean this is like i mean brother we're i mean we pretty much grew up together i want to talk about jeff a little bit man let's let like you, you mentioned jeff that your barber. barber your barber comes to you is it still jeff yeah jeff the barber i've had him uh since i was 12 years old uh, my dad's buddy used to be in my barber and he thought it was funny to shave all my hair off. So to this day, like I don't cut my hair. Sure. I always have curls for the girls and Jeff, the barber has been cutting my hair since about 12 years curls old. Curls for the girls. But, yeah, buddy. But he's more than a barber. Like he's a good family friend of not just mine, but my brother, uh, Wayne, he still cuts Wayne, uh, Joel Ward. And the good thing is you have people that are sort of hanger-ons. He pays his own way everywhere he goes. And he goes and he'll go see Wayne in Philadelphia, pay for his own flight, pay for his own ticket. You know, he went and saw, you know, Joel Ward in Washington. So he's more of a, a brother than just the barber. But uh, a good thing that you brought him up because he's the best in the business. And uh, I, I love him. I love him because, you know, he, he goes above and beyond. And he's my – he's everyone's number one fan. Still cuts Darnell Nurse, Devontae smith Pelly. But, uh, yeah, shout out uh, Jeff the Barber. Yeah, I mean, no, Jeff's great, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spend an, a, a little bit more on him. 
he started at a cut above at Galloway and Kingston Road. And then when a cut above two opened, he was like kind of the guy that they asked to kind of be the lead barber over there, right? In Ajax, right? So that's pretty cool. I've been to that shop a few times. Um, Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing the Michael Jordan hairstyle now. So barbers really, I mean, they're more of my friends now as opposed to servicemen, right? That's Steve's now. He can give you a weave. He can give you a high and tight now. He can give you a little bit of a weave and then give you a box cut. They have that uh, technology now, I'm sure. Well, <laughs> man, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe getting a head tattoo, man. I'm looking into head tattoos. And for the listeners that are wondering what that means, it's actually a tattoo that looks like you have like, a low-cut haircut all the time. I know some people that have it right now, like my boy Danny Fernandez, you know, he's got a nice head tattoo right now, man, because he's been embracing the Michael Jordan hairstyle for about 10 years now, right? So, but I don't know. We'll see, man. The way that things go, we never know how it's going to, we're wearing masks every day right now. We would have never seen something like that a couple years ago, right? So who knows? Who knows, man? So, so Anthony, so like with the Florida Panthers, um, I know that you have told me a lot of stories about Ole Jokinen, okay? Now, wherever I've played, there's always been characters that have stuck out. Like, you know, like when I was with the Sabres, there's guys that I'll never forget. You know, when I got to go to Oilers camp, it was a very short time. Guys I'll never forget. Same thing with Chicago. With Florida, who are the the biggest characters that you played with the Panthers, bro? Yeah, I liked Ole Oaken. He was a veteran guy. And I was a rookie, right? I was a rookie for about two, three years because I was always up and down and He's the one guy that always embraced me. And it's funny. My dad with his Jamaican accent could not <laughs> Ole Okanen. So he'd just call him Olikin. So he'd be like, <laughs> Olikin, pass you the puck. And uh, he was great because, uh, you know, he sort of made me a part of the group. And every time we were on the road, I would always go to dinner with him and he'd always pick up the tab. We'd always go to Morton's and it'd be a $1,200 meal between the four of us. And he'd be like, you're not paying, kid. But he would also remind me how much money he'd be making every payday back then. They would, uh, they would pay you by check. So we'd be on the road and the checks would come. And he'd call me to the back of the plane. He'd be like, Stewie, come here, come here. I got to show you something. <laughs> he'd just pull up. <laughs> and he'd be like, Stu, you like that? I'm like, yeah. He'd be like, do you want to make this one day? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, today's not the day. They'd put the paycheck back in the envelope and they'd send you to the front of the plane. So he had, they had their fun with me, which was good. But uh, he was great, great uh, for sure. I played with Gary Roberts and Neuendijk and – you know, I played with Newendike his last year where he couldn't even tie his skates. His back was so bad. So L4 uh, really? too. So there's a lot of veterans at that time coming in and out. Brian McCabe and uh, Thomas Focoon. So I saw these guys, you know, what it is to be a pro uh, on the ice, but uh, off the ice as well. Now, yeah, and, and thanks for sharing that for sure. Especially, say the Oaken and say how your, how would your dad say Ole Oaken again? Olikin. 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 Olikin, man. <laughs> so another thing that, that I wanted to touch up on, Anthony, was, you know, obviously you were mostly with Florida. You had some great time in Florida. You also got the opportunity to play a little bit in Rochester, New York, right? Yeah. Now, Rochester, New York, obviously that was my stopping ground for four seasons, we had the opportunity to actually cross paths, man. You weren't there for too long, but I think there was a couple, at least one trip that we were roommates on the road, though. Yeah, I remember, I remember being yeah. your roommate with Rochester on the road. Yeah, right? give us the 
Give us the juicy, embarrassing sheriff story here. There's got to uh, be one. one thing I remember about Sheriff in Rochester, he always had the big leather jacket on, too. And I guarantee he still has that leather jacket today. He had the big double XL looking like a, a line. Don't worry about it. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that was like that, and I, I was only there for about two weeks. I got called yeah. up. But just seeing the talent that was down there, it was like Derek Roy, Pomdenville, Chris Taylor was there. Uh, there was a lot of guys. I, I think Vanek was down there for a bit, or he yep. got called up. But this was right after the lockout, and I was like, "Shit, this team is is, is good." I'm like, "I got to get my stuff together here because uh, you might be out of the lineup because it was a split between Rochester, sorry, uh, the Buffalo Sabers and the Florida Panthers farm team, and there's just so much talent where if you didn't bring your A game, you might be out of the lineup." So I'm like, "Man, I want to get called up. I got to be doing well here." So I think I put up you know five points in the three four games, and I got called up, and I actually got hurt that year in Florida, but uh, it was a good uh, first couple of weeks. I remember we had the, the team party at Chris Taylor's house. Thorburn was there and all that. Oh, so yeah, that's right. Man. Cast the characters uh, in Rochester to say the least. There, I mean, that was, that was an AHL team that again, because of the dual affiliate that year, you know, Buffalo, you're right. Buffalo and Florida were sharing the Rochester American. So it was the top prospects from both teams but man, there was a lot of guys that ended up graduating to the National Hockey League from that from that group, and that was that was a great experience for me to be a part of because man, like I have such close ties with Buffalo, but with you, but because of that dual affiliate year, there's a whole group of Florida Panthers guys that you know, guys like Greg Jacina, Stefan Meyer, Drew Larman, like guys that I'm like really good friends with now, and it's because of that season, Anthony. It was it was a really cool year for me. And I really thought it was just awesome, man, that I got a chance to be your roommate, like in the AHL before you got called up. And you had five points in three games, my friend. Oh, thank you did it. You did extremely good. You know, a little, uh, little. Had the best condo in in uh, in Rochester. I want to know what you were making back then. I remember that you were. It was such a nice condo. You rented it out to the boys when you were gone, and I remember that. That was a sick place. Man, I, Rochester was my second home. As you know, it's very, very close to where we grew up. Three hours for me in the summertime. So pretty much what I did was I would just keep my place in the summertime. When that development um, came up, that was right beside Blue Cross Arena, right across the street from Nathaniel's Pub and, and, and Eatery. Yeah. <laughs> the famous Nathaniel's. Nathaniel's, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was just one of the first first people to have the opportunity to actually like say that I wanted to rent the place out just because yeah. I was already there. And I no, think I was great. like, I don't know, this lady that was renting out the places, you know, me and my girlfriend at the time, we had met her and, you know, like it was a pretty, pretty close connection that I had with that place. But yeah, man, it was a phenomenal condo. And it was actually Tanner Glass and Drew Larman that rented out the place. The next season because we just yeah. wanted to keep the lease going at least because we didn't yeah. want to lose it right yeah. Yeah. me and dan sullivan we're gonna live there in the summer but we needed someone to live there during the winter yeah. you know and and we and we just cut, kind of kept it going but yeah great time i wanted to bring up rochester just because you know we had rob ray on a couple episodes ago and the history in rochester is just so incredible that a lot of people don't even realize the players that have gone through that organization and with the with the close association that the sheriff podcast has had with the Steve Ludzig family, you know, it's it must be well known that Steve Ludzig, Don Cherry, Anthony Stewart, there's a lot of people that have gone through the Rochester American system and graduated to the National Hockey League. So I wanted to point that out. 
Um, so Anthony, I mean, pretty much like after Florida, you had an opportunity to play for the Chicago Wolves. Okay. And I want to talk to you about that because I got to play for the Chicago Wolves. The Chicago Wolves is not a normal AHL franchise. You know, the way that I try to explain it is I try to say they're kind of like the New York Yankees, although the Yanks aren't doing well this year, but everybody knows what I mean by that. They're the New York Yankees of the American Hockey League with the budget that they run, with the fact that they pretty much fly everywhere like an NHL team. I mean, it's very, very different. How was your experience in Chi-Town, my friend? Yeah, it was great. I was a little upset because I was in Florida the year before and I signed with Atlanta and I ended up going down to the minors. So I really didn't really have the best attitude the first couple of weeks. But just that organization is probably one of the most professional organizations that it's not in the NHL. I don't care if it's the KHL, wherever it is, Switzerland, that that organization's run like the pros. And, you know, before every game, you have the big uh, fireworks show. And Oh, yeah, um, man. A lot of money. And I'm not sure if you ever had uh, lunch at the at the paint shop there. with The, the paint the, shop. The yeah, the there. paint shop. Uh, but um, it, 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 it had that pro experience, right? You can go downtown, hang out with the Blackhawks, and it keeps you close to that NHL where it keeps you motivated. So um, I actually had a pretty good playoffs that year. Where I think I had eight goals in 13 games because, you know what, you know, like enough's enough. It's time to perform. I got to get back to the NHL next year. But uh, the best part of that year was uh, playing with uh, Chris Chelios. So uh, we were actually, right. uh, we were supposed to be roommates, but he's like, yeah, I'm not rooming with you. I'll get your own room. But uh, we, were, <laughs> we were buddies We were buddies on the road where we had some late nights. And uh, But just seeing Chelios. And the one thing about Chelios, he can go out and party all night, but he's the first guy at the arena. And he used to ride the bike in the sauna. And, you know, you go to Chicago when you were there, Sheriff, I don't think there was a sauna there. He built the sauna in the in the rink. He paid for it. And he built it. And he would ride the bike in the sauna every single day before practice and after practice. And um, I had the opportunity to train with him in L.A. And this guy is a beast. And people wonder, oh, he must be so talented. He played in the NHL so long. Dude, this guy is is a beast in the gym. This guy trains, trains and trains some more. So uh, that's the one experience I learned from that. And, you know, I'm sure he didn't want to be in the minors. And, you know, he fixed my attitude right quick because I'm upset about being there. And here's a guy, 42 years old. He doesn't want to be there, but he's putting in the work. And he ended up getting called up, uh, I think, for the last 10 games of the season. So he really bided his time. But he showed me to, to sort of reinvigorate my career. Like, hey, you know what? Put the work in. You're here make the mess of the situation and get back to the NHL. And sure enough, I had a good playoffs and uh, being around him, I actually had my best statistical season in the NHL the next year in Atlanta where I had almost 40 points. You sure did. And just so you know, it was nine goals you got in the playoffs that year, my friend. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. You're just a scoring machine, bud. We lost to, uh, it was the second round in this game seven. Uh, It was Jamie Ben. Jamie Ben came back from Dallas. He played the NHL. Come on. And he scored 20 goals in the in the NHL. They sent him down for playoffs, and we were actually going head to head for leading goal scorer in the playoffs. And we actually had a bet: uh, whoever scores the game winner for 20 bucks. So I actually went to go give him the money after because he scored the game winner. And uh, he's like, "No, nah, keep your money, kid." <laughs> well, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so now, and and like I'm glad that I'm glad that you just mentioned it because I wa- I want you to be proud of it. It's an incredible feat. My next thing that I was bringing up was that season, the very, very productive season in, in Atlanta, okay? Now, what impresses me most about the season, Anthony, is the games played, brother. Yeah. Did you, was it an 80-game season or an 82-game season? 
Uh, it was 80 game season, but what happened was I, <laughs> I lost my passport. The last two games of the season were on the road and uh, <laughs> they didn't bring me oh, no. on the trip. <laughs> I was supposed oh, to play sucks. a full season, but I lost my passport. So, uh, so yeah. it must have been an 82 game season because you played 80 full games. Yeah, it was supposed to be an 82 game season. Yeah, I missed the last two of the year. Yeah, that's really impressive, buddy. Like, not only to be a hard enough worker that not one time the coach has ever mad at you during the season and scratches you, not only that, but just to stay healthy, man, to just be good. Like, I know you probably played hurt that year, Anthony. Did you Did you have some minor injuries that you battled through? Uh, I remember the lineup? There's, there's, a, there's a goal I scored, and I actually got a picture of it, and you can literally, I can't even lift my shoulder. I had like a sprained AC joint for, I think, a month. Uh, out of the season. But what I liked about that season was we had Craig Ramsey as a coach and he was, his, it was his first time head coaching gig. And he pulled me aside. He's like, Stewie, I know you were in the minors last year. I knew you didn't have success in Florida, but whoever you think you are in your head as a player, do it, play good team defense, play within the system, but whatever you want to do out there, do it. We're not going to tell you to fight. We're not going to tell you to do that, do whatever you want to do. So I literally had success because he just put me in a position to succeed right away he put me with Ant, uh, Antropov and, and Vander Kane. I think I got a hat trick the second game of the season. I scored the next game, so I had I was leading the team in goals for the first you know two weeks of the season. So um, there needs to be more coaches like that throughout the league because I went from seven points in the NHL to two years later having my best season. It was just coaching, coaching and timing and uh, the proper opportunity. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. amazing. Now this time of your life, though, Stewie, like. You must have had some really good off seasons. Like you must have been your healthiest, because, dude, the next season you play the full NHL year again. You had seventy-seven games played in Carolina. Yeah. So what happened with Atlanta was, you know, I was only making six hundred thousand. I put up almost forty points. So you do the math. Like I'm due for really? big, I'm due for a big, big raise. So I had arbitration. So Atlanta ended up getting leaving and going to Winnipeg. So I had arbitration. So I was going to come out with a number two million, two and a half. Uh, so it was a new organization. They were doing their numbers. They're like, "Yeah, we're not, uh, we're not going to pay you that. Maybe we'll revisit it down the line, but we're not paying you that. You can take this, but we're not going to pay you two, two and a half." So they actually didn't keep my rights. So I was a free agent, and I said, "Well, you know what? At the end of the day, I want some security." And uh, the only team that offered me two years was the was the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. I think I earned that. I wasn't worried about the number. I was more worried about the security. And uh, I signed a two year deal in uh, in Carolina and was played fourth line most of the year. But uh, twenty points, eight goals, nine goals. That was, I consider that a pretty good season. I consider oh, it a sure. great season. In the yeah. NHL? I, oh, for sure. <laughs> now, yeah. yeah. So what happened now, after that, Sheriff? So you know, then the lockout happens and I get traded to LA. Uh, I had 20 points on the fourth line the year before. And like, that puts me like fifth in scoring on the whole entire Kings team. So I'm like, yeah, man, I'm great. It's gravy. I got 20 points, like uh, fourth line. Like I'm, I'm playing with Kopitar. <laughs> so I get there and they're like, uh, yeah, we won the cup with this team. So we're not sending anyone else down. We're sending you down. <laughs> so I go down. Oh, no. Yeah. So I had to go down to Manchester and, and bide my time there. Uh, this is a pretty good story. I finished the season in Manchester. We got knocked out of the playoffs and uh, LA was still in the playoffs. And it took like six games in for Daryl Sutter to be like, where's Stewie? <laughs> Cause I was on a one-way contract. The Manchester season was done. 
They're like, well, where is he? They're like, uh, his season's done. He's back in Toronto. So I was home for a week, you know, eating Mandarin, having a couple beers. And they literally called me game six saying, hey, we need you to fly into St. Louis tomorrow. You're playing your brother. And I was literally at Mandarin. I put on 10, 15 pounds because I was home for about 10 days. So I said, well, guy, I was honest with myself. I said, guys, like I can come. I'll play, but I'm going to be horseshit. I need two, three days to just skate. I haven't been on the ice. And so I was honest with myself. Uh, so they actually put in uh, Tanner Pearson instead of me because I wasn't ready. And uh, the rest was history for him where he never came out of the lineup again. And I actually was there the rest of the playoffs uh, with LA. I wasn't even on the uh, the taxi squad. I was actually on the main squad practicing every day, every day. And that was the year that was the year that they lost to Chicago in the conference finals. And uh, okay. I was there, I was there in the stand. I was actually in the dressing room when they lost. So it was a tough playoff yeah. experience, but it was a great experience seeing Brown and Dowdy and Kopitar and Carter, those guys, that organization's run uh, amazing. Wow, man. And um, uh, Feudov was there as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right on, man. So, man, so that season, Anthony, did you already kind of have in your mind that you were going to, like, like I know during the lockout and stuff, like, that you had a chance to go and play in Nottingham and stuff like that, but did, were you thinking, like, okay, so if I'm not going to be playing in the NHL next year, I'm just going to try to make as much money as I can overseas because you played in some really good leagues in Europe, man. Like really good leagues. Yeah, that was the thinking, right? I had a son at the time. I had my first son. And, uh, you know, I was like, I didn't want to. I already was in Chicago. I was already in Manchester. I'm like, I'm not doing the the minor league thing again. And that's, yeah. that's again, I, I was 29, 28, 29 years old. So I said, you know what? Let's, you know, explore the opportunity to go to uh, the KHL. So I was in KHL for, you know, the, most of that year. Uh, there you don't get uh, cut, you get fired. So I got fired around Christmas and ended up uh, in Switzerland. Switzerland's probably the best league to play in. And uh, you get to go to the Spangler Cup. And I talk about the World Juniors, but the way that they do that Spangler Cup tournament, you can bring your family. Uh, they got presents for all the kids. They got sleigh rides throughout the mountains. Uh, that Spangler really? Cup, really, really great. So I was in uh, I was in Russia. I was in Switzerland. Went back to Russia. Went back to Switzerland. And then... Uh, after that, I ended up uh, with the sheriff in uh, Le Marquis, the Jean Pierre. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to get into the Marquis de Jean Pierre because, like that, that was a pretty another special time for me. That you know, I had an opportunity to play with a fellow Scarborotarian, and you know, it was a great time. What I really want to talk about, though, Anthony, was when you came. To the the infamous Quebec League, the 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 Quebec Senior A League, the LNAH, like everyone seems to have their own name for it. It is the LNAH. It is a professional league. It used to be a senior league. They cleaned it up a bit. The bikers used to have a big influence. Now they don't. Guys used to get paid in cash. Now they don't. Everything's taxed. Everything's checked. You got to experience the league. You had a pretty cool contract, like the team was flying you in and stuff like that. What's your overall opinion on the LNAH from a guy that played the better part of 300 games in the National Hockey League, played at the top levels overseas, gold medalist? Well, when you when you think about hockey and what's what's the purpose of hockey, it's it's for obviously you know good hockey. 
and uh, entertainment and fans, right? And you think about it, you look at that league where, you know, some of those buildings were louder than NHL buildings. They love their hockey. They love their fights, but they love their hockey. But uh, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, it, it was great. You know, I, the sheriff was my agent. He got my deal done. I'd make sure that uh, you, uh, you know, got my flights on time and all that. You'd come, you'd pick me up at the airport and we'd go and take a quick nap. I'd make sure I'd bring you your spaghetti as uh, or your penne and uh, vodka sauce as uh, as payments every time. I'd make sure my wife made it. And we, you know, we drive From Shante, right? Yeah. And we drive up there three hours every day. Right. And it was a bit of growing planes because I thought I was just going to come out there and dangle around and my first game, I got Joel the Animal Terrier chirping me, and I chirped him back, and you're like, no, 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 you don't talk to him. So I had to learn the confines <laughs> of the league. Uh, after about three, four weeks, I said, you know what, I'm just going to embrace this league as a whole and get in better shape and uh, fight. So I had a pretty good fight. I had two fights. My one fight, I think I beat some guy up, and I actually embraced the league. And once I embraced the league for what it was and didn't think it was, you know, I was too cool for school, I actually had success. So we ended up going on a pretty good run. I think we lost in the second round. But, uh, you know, they went in there, you know, chirping me. But I think when I left, I think they ended up uh, being a bit afraid of me and they ended up uh, respecting me at the very end. So I think that was a great end to my career because, um, you know, I didn't really want to fight. I didn't think I had it in me with them anymore. But I really proved to myself, like, hey, I'm still a beast no matter what league I play in. Yes. And I, I'd like to add to that, my friend. Yeah. So when Anthony Stewart came to the LNAH, uh, he, it was the Marquis de Jonquière, which was my team. Like I said, it, it was one of the top teams, highest attendance, you know, highest payroll, like everyone was making the most that they could. And like for the, for the league um, salary caps and whatnot. And, you know, they brought Anthony in. Um, to be the star they brought Anthony in you know to be the big goal scorer he was a big NHL name for this league because it's a semi-pro league and you know and Anthony came in and he really earned the respect of the of the league of the players you remember Claude Bouchard our coach yeah. do you remember do you, do you remember there was the two brothers and then they they got fired and they brought like do you remember all that stuff I if you're going to come back, you have to play our way. And then he got fired. And I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, so Anthony was put in a position where he wasn't in game shape when he started. He worked extremely hard to be in a position to be able to come. I was begging him to come because my team was all over me. There's a rule in the LNAH that if a player was born in Quebec, they're automatically eligible Anthony Stewart, born in LaSalle, Quebec, correct? Yeah, I was born in Quebec. In LaSalle. Anthony was born in Montreal, which made him eligible for this, for this league. And they knew that. And they're like, dude, you know this guy. You got to bring him here, man. So I'm like, Anthony, do you want to come? Do you want to play? Do you want to do this? Do you want that? Uh, you know, Mac, I'm not really – I'm not in game shape right now, but I can start skating. And, yeah, I would, I would love to entertain that. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, man, well, they want you here next weekend. And, you know, he's like, all right, well, give me a couple weeks. And then, you know, every day they're bothering me and bothering me. Finally, Anthony was finally ready to come. He comes. He does well. You scored your first game. You had a hat trick within your first few games. Yeah. You scored a hat trick in the playoffs too, man. Yeah. Like you were a big time player. Anthony's first fight in the LNAH, he takes on a guy that is mostly there for fighting. 
I was already in the penalty box because I think I was the first one. There's usually like one, one, two, three, four in a row. So Anthony was like number three or four, and I was the first one in the box. And when Anthony came to the box, I was mad at the guy because I was his agent, man, and I, I did negotiate his deal, and I got to protect my players, man. And when they're going out and fighting guys that are one-dimensional tough guys – when Anthony is supposed to be our top scorer, that's not a good trade-off. So I'm acting a little bit as a coach. I'm acting a little bit as his agent. I'm acting a little bit as his buddy from Scarborough. I'm like, dude, you do not have to fight guys like that, man. Like, don't fight like guys like that. Just fight like the best player on the other well, team, man. Next that's fight, what... I, was, I was actually sitting on the bench. I'm just minding my own business sitting on the bench. And who are we playing? Cornwall. And their coach is standing, like, on the dasher, like, Pointing across that, Stewie, you fight. You come out here and fight. You chick, like, calling me out, like, to fight their guy. And I honestly Bob was. Desjardins. The puck was, like, about to drop. And it, and I literally hopped over the bench. I was so pissed because I was, like, going to come fight him. So I lined up against whoever it was. and I, <laughs> But I was so angry. That's the most angry I ever was in the flight in my whole entire life. And I was yelling at Bob after. So I turned into, like, a crazy guy. <laughs> I almost, like, turned into, like, a regular in this league. But, no, it, it was great. And the, I don't think it gets enough credit for the quality of hockey it was like, you know, I came off the couch and it took me a good two months to really get up to speed. It's not, uh, it's not easy hockey. It's not easy hockey in any sense of the word. And there's some great players in that league. Yeah. I mean, I mean, pretty much what it is, Anthony is like, I mean, I mean, you take a guy, let's say a guy played in the Quebec major junior league. Let's say he was even a draft pick. Let's say he even signed his entry level contract. You know, plays in the AHL for three years, you know, doesn't get any interest at the NHL and AHL level. So what are his options? His options are to play in the ECHL, in the East Coast, or he can play in the semi-pro league that's, that's the teams are an hour, two hours, 45 minutes from his house. We're, we're, so not only does he have the option to work a full-time job and make the same amount of money that he would have made in the East Coast Hockey League. The only difference is he's not living in some weird town in the southern Texas. And with some weirdo, he can be with his family and his kids. And he can actually provide for them and play two competitive games on the weekend and stay in shape. And, and I, a lot of guys... And I remember... Yeah, sorry, Anthony, go ahead. And we were talking about it, like saying, like, they need to have this in Toronto, right? We were like, yeah, yeah. be the commissioners and figure this out. So... Um, yeah, it, I had a good experience and I actually signed on the next year to go to Cornwall and I think the team ended up folding or something happened. And so it was, it was a great experience for me. Awesome. Awesome. So Anthony, now, now comes the time that I kind of really, really wanted to embrace this topic. We had a guest on a couple episodes, episodes ago, you know him, Mr. Weapon X, Alex Penner, mm -hmm. Alex Penner has an idea to start some kind of organization that works at the major junior level that teaches players trades at that age so that they're in a better position to get into a post-hockey career. There's nothing really set up for players right now. You know, there's school packages, there's this, there's that, but there's nothing for like what most players get into, which is trades. But what happens, Anthony, is they stop playing. They're depressed that they're not playing anymore. They get into a rut. Some guys start drinking. Some guys start abusing substances. Some guys get depressed and, and start developing even worse mental health issues. 
Then, years down the road, they finally start figuring it out and, and start doing something. It doesn't really need to be like that. So, for someone like yourself, to me, you're the model post-hockey guy. You're doing something that you're very passionate about. Not only are you coaching, but you're also on TV. You're doing radio. You're really embracing the sport that you really spent your whole life you know, building up and, and making yourself credible in. So to me, you're giving back right now for what you've been going for your whole life, if that even makes sense to the listeners. And it really inspires me, my friend. At what point towards the last couple years were you looking at that situation? Like, were you one of those guys that really thought that, you know what, I, I, I'll find another contract somewhere? Or were you kind of thinking ahead and being like, you know what? I talk pretty good. Maybe I'll be okay on TV. Well, no, I had the goal that I was probably going to get into the minor hockey stuff. And, and again, I still have aspirations of owning an organization in the hockey rank. And I said, well, the plan was to do it at 35. I retired at 31 and got into it, right? So I think that's the, uh, a lot of people identify with hockey, right? That's who they are. It's not what they do, it's who they are. And if that's what it, the, the case is, I think the, the, the leagues have a responsibility to find ways to keep guys within the game. Why not build an arena in every single city and have ex-pros come out and run the arena? There's guys in this in this market making, you know, $75,000, $100,000. As a part-time job, that's great and that's amazing. But you mentioned it. You hit the nail on the head teaching these kids, uh, you know, trades. But the issue is everyone thinks they're making the NHL. So when you have that goal, they don't want to learn, you know, how to do, uh, you know, an electrician or be an elevator operator. That's, that's quote-unquote beneath them, but Sheriff, how many guys you know that are elevator ma uh, operators making, like, legit money? Like, legit? Yeah. Legit. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, that, that would be great if there's some association to teach these skills because unless you're in the top 20% of the league, you know, you're going to have to do something. Right? You, you, a million bucks is not a lot of money. Two million bucks, five million bucks is not a lot of money, right? Where you could just put your legs back and, and go sit on a beach, you know, right? So that's the thing. People think, you know what, at 30, I'll make enough money to retire. There's still another 50 years of life, right? So I, I anything I can do to help with that, encouraging that. And, um, you know, hopefully this is something I can do for the next 20, 30 years. But uh, the passion is, is really, really this minor hockey and, and teaching these kids these life lessons that are going to make them more valuable uh, to society. And hopefully, you know, if they make it, great. But if not, they're going to be able to, to be valuable members of society and, and contribute in a positive way, whether that's through hockey, athletics, or, you know, like I said, they're a mechanic or whatever it is they're doing, they're the best versions of themselves. So I think that's what uh, the responsibility is for the higher ups. Have these people find the best way to make the best version of themselves, whatever that is. And thank you for sharing that, buddy. Now, Stuart Hockey, Stuart Hockey, Stuart Hockey. I, me and Kyle, the Sheriff Podcast, we always try to try to say that awareness is the most important thing because Anthony from awareness comes the action and comes movements. Okay. The awareness that I want to, 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 to be loud with right now is when you said that you had a goal at 35, were you talking about being a triple a hockey coach? Were you talking about the Stewart hockey, like, like program like, were you talking about owning the rink? Like, what is it that, what, what was your goal? 
Well, just to be running my own hockey school. So whether that's, you know, again, I consider it successful. Before I was doing media, it was paying the bills. Uh, but I just sort of want to, um, you know, show to the people. Here's, you know, two kids that didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of training, didn't have the best powers, didn't have any power skating coaches, didn't have any supplemental income, make the National Hockey League. And it wasn't just talent. So there's too much focus now on the minor hockey on just talent, talent, skills, 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 where those are when you get to a certain level, the best of the best. You're not that talented in this little bubble of Ontario. So I want to have a, a, an atmosphere and dynamic that's promoting the right way to play the game and teach these kids the right lessons. So that's through hockey. That's the on ice. That's the off ice. That's in the gym. Uh, you know, like I said, we just talked about me doing a seminar on just uh, the importance of diet and sleep. Uh, so just giving these kids tools to make them good people, not just good hockey players. I would like to sit on that seminar. Well, sit in on that seminar. Give me the next one, yeah? Let's go. I would really like to sit on that, man, because that that's so important, Anthony. And, you said, why, and, and again, I don't coach a first-place team, Sheriff. All my teams just squeak into the playoffs. But I'll tell you right now, uh, I remember my brother at 15. I remember Wayne Simmons at 15. Uh, you, people wouldn't think they had any business making the NHL, but I knew it. So I, I'm seeing some of these kids at 12, 13 years old and I'm like, this kid's going to play in the NHL. This kid's going to play in the NHL because they have those attributes that I had, that my brother had, that Wayne had. And now that we're teaching them the skills that's going to make them uh, make it a lot easier up the pathway. These kids are, you're going to hear about the next Wayne Simmons and the Chris Stewart and the Joel Ward a lot sooner and later. And, you know, let's hope that instead of putting on their NHL hat, they put on a Stewart hockey hat for promotion. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And Anthony, it's happening. There will be a Stuart hockey hat at the draft, my friend. There is going to be one, 100%. You don't have to tell me that. I know that. <laughs> Good. We're so there was, and that's, I quickly here, my brother, when he was making his comeback, you're like, oh, which pros were he on the ice? No, he wasn't on the ice with any pros. He was on the ice with my kids that were 13 years old. So he got pushed by a bunch of 13-year-olds that had that same work ethic. And there's pictures of him in the gym with, like, Christopher Stieg. But there's always two or three young minor hockey guys there because that's how it was. You know, my brother, you know, when he was younger, I didn't want to bring him around all the time. But it taught me to be a leader. So he understood the importance of that, you know, what I did for him. He was doing that for these next generation of kids, too. So he's like... You know what? Yeah, come on. Make sure you're working hard. But, uh, you know, yeah, you can come out, work out with me. You can come on the ice with me. So you'll see the videos. He's on the ice, you know, getting prepared for his Philadelphia season. With a bunch of 13-year-olds on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> and but again, these are Stuart hockey guys, yeah, though, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is hard work, man. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now, being the, being the top being Stuart Hockey, you are Stuart Hockey. When you see these kids that you're mentioning, brother, because you know, because you know that they got it, because you know you've seen it, you've lived it, you've embraced it, I know that you've helped kids out. I know that you have. And I know you're a humble guy, but we're talking about it right now. We're, we're going to talk about this. You've seen things in kids and you've gone that extra mile and you've even paid for things to get these kids through because you probably wouldn't even be able to live with yourself just to stand by and just to watch and with all the help and assistance that you were given because of how incredible of a kid you were, Anthony, and all those parents that helped you out. You think they would have done that if you weren't such a polite kid? 
You think they would have done that if you didn't say thank you before they were even done doing whatever they were doing? Brother, you you earned all that help. And I know that you see the kids that have the same values that you did. And and tell me, like, am I right? Have you helped these kids? Because I, I heard that you have. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just my duty where I think I, I owe it, you know, to society to sort of pay it forward, right? Because if these people didn't go out of, you know, their pockets or out of their way to help me, even just giving me a, a ride to the rink, I wouldn't have made it. And that's where people think it's all about talent, but it's about perseverance. It's about help. It's about the community. So anything I can do, and again, I have, you know, a pretty successful hockey school and, you know, my wife goes and she checks the books and she's like, well, where's all the money? And it's like, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's some kids skating for free out here. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, buddy. So now I want to like, like, and I know we're way over the time limit right now. You're being very, very, very nice to the sheriff podcast. And I appreciate it, Anthony Stewart. Now I just need to talk about Minnesota a little bit. Like, like I need, I need to, like, the, the joint venture with your brother, you know, can we talk about that a little bit? Like, like, like what the possibilities I know COVID's. Yeah. So my brother, he purchased uh Minnesota hockey camps, which is one of the main hockey camps in all of Minnesota. And, uh, he got a, a NHL three team, uh, the Minnesota Loons. So he's just continuing, you know, it's like a Stuart Hockey U.S. division. Um, and his camp, it holds 120 kids. So it, it's going to make a lot of difference in a lot of lives. And just what we're going to be doing with uh, our foundation and stuff is, you know, we're going to provide, you know, the camp hockey experience, you know, for underprivileged kids. There's a lot of kids that can't afford to go to a hockey camp. It's sometimes a thousand bucks a week. So just through my brother there, he's sort of setting up uh, his division out there. It's going to change a lot of lives. It's obviously a business, but uh, just that player development in mind. And he's in Philadelphia right now. He's working with Wisdom, their first round pick, who's um, having a pretty good season in the minors as, as an 18, 19 year old. So uh, player developments uh, close, near and dear to our hearts. And anything we can do to help get these next generation of kids to the NHL, we're going to do whatever it takes. Man, it, it makes me smile, Anthony, when I hear that, um, especially kids getting the opportunity to be getting access to this training, to be getting access to this mentorship, to be getting access to these leaders that are showing them the way. And it just would not be happening if you guys didn't have this program. So that needs now. Now, with the foundation, can you can you tell us how we can look this up and how we can support yeah, so my brother's with the HDA, so I was going to go to HDA, but it's, uh, you know what I'm doing is uh, www.hockeyquality.org, and that's just an organization now where we're raising funds that are going directly towards the kids. It's going directly towards the ice. It's buying equipment because, like I said, I'm coming out of pocket for a lot of these kids. I'm doing it for two or three. I'd like to do it for 200. And I think just like when my dad got me on the ice for that first time, uh, I fell in love with the game. So the more people that we can get involved in the game, the better. And eventually my parents found a way to pay for it. So getting kids on the ice, we're going to be providing skates. We're going to be providing ice. We're going to be providing figure skating coaches, edge coaches, ice equipment, lunch. You know how many kids aren't even getting proper lunch and breakfast programs. So uh, we're going to be helping out everybody. Uh, it's, it's, it's all inclusive to all, you know, all groups and backgrounds. And uh, the goal here is just to, to grow the game uh, in Canada because it is the best game in the world. And the more people playing it and the more diverse it is, it's definitely going to help grow the game. And anything I can do to pay it forward, I'm more than willing to do it. That is some really, really, really true words, my friend. 
And I really appreciate the fact that you're a part of this and you're embracing it. And you are a big time leader in today's hockey world, my friend. Never mind the hockey world, the sports world in junior in general, right? And and I appreciate that. Now, Anthony, before we let you go, buddy, we want to know some picks that you got. I know you're you're on the main panel for Sportsnet. I want to know some picks. Who's who's winning the divisions and who's winning the cup? Well, I pay a lot of uh, I have to pay a lot of attention to the East, uh, the North Division, because I have to, you know, obviously cover those games a lot. But again, I've been watching some of these Vegas and St. Louis and Colorado games and Minnesota. That division is fast-paced, heavy hockey. So I think I think you can see Vegas coming out of the West uh, right now. But uh, Toronto, they got they got some depth. They got some depth. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, spotlight on Connor McDavid. But Austin Matthews, this guy's going to score 40 goals in 52 games. Like, this guy, every time he touches the puck, he, he's a threat to score. I haven't seen anybody like that since, you know, prime Stamkos when he scored 60 goals. Half of those goals are against me when I was with the Panthers. So, I think Toronto right now, if they can get the goaltend and get the saves, they have the offensive fire punch. They got Wayne Simmons, who's a little bit of truculence in the playoffs. I could see a Toronto-Vegas uh Toronto Vegas uh, finals. They're too close to call. We'll go seven games overtime. Wow. Now that, now that's something, eh, Kyle? Yeah, I'd like to point out that I, I said Vegas was going to win the Stanley Cup before the season even started. Yeah, I know. That's why I pointed out. I'm just trying to get you going, buddy. <laughs> Anthony, that that's incredible, man. I mean, there is like. Obviously, we had a, we we had an agreement. We wanted to have an amazing chat. For around an hour, you've given us so much more. I got to <laughs> ask you right now, my friend. We're going to have to ask you to come back, buddy. I really like. I have no problem talking shop. You know me. There you go, buddy. Anthony, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, buddy, I'm, I'm going to ha- I'm gonna have you on soon. I would actually maybe even have a brother's episode if yeah, you guys are for that. Let's do it. I know you guys have done a few interviews together. We gotta get the mayor on. Get the mayor on and Freddie Jones. We'll have a big uh, house party group chat. <laughs> My mom wants to be a part of it as well, Anthony. I get Sheila there too. Tell her I said hello. <laughs> Buddy, she's been listening to this whole show, man. She's like sitting right beside me the whole time, brother. Hi, Anthony. She said hi, hi too. Uh, how are you? Good to see you. Good to hear from you. Yeah, she, she can hear you. She can hear you just like I can, buddy. But just so the listeners don't know, Anthony and my mom are friends. We're family friends. Everybody's very close. So this is really, really cool for us, guys. And we really appreciate Anthony coming on because, like I said, he's got so much going on now. I'm so proud of him. Like, I look up to this guy. He's three years younger than me. He, he's just doing it. He's doing it. And a guy from Scarborough that played the game, that can see a fellow hockey player, not only excelling to the National Hockey League, but also he's my favorite guy on television. And I look forward to seeing Anthony Stewart, hearing his content. And for, for anyone that doesn't know it, this guy is the rising star on TV, man. I'm, I'm a big fan, Anthony. I'm going to be riding this crest with you, buddy. I wish, I wish the best for you, man. I appreciate it, Sheriff. Thanks, Kyle. And keep doing what you guys are doing. I, I pay attention. I listen to all the episodes. My favorite one, obviously, next to my brothers, is the Al St. Clair. I love hearing the Al St. Clair stories. That was great. Uh, I actually called uh, the, the sheriff right after I heard that. So that's great work. Keep it up, guys. I'm very supportive of you guys. Anything I can do to help, you need any guests, let me know. But uh, great job. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Anthony Stewart, buddy. We're looking forward to part two real soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Go Leafs. All right, guys. Flyers, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So 
special guest Anthony Stewart. We will see you guys next time on the Sheriff Podcast. Woo!